0: This is the Political Monitor Podcast, brought to you by the Concord Monitor. In today's show, there's a week and a half left to go to the primary. We check in on where the Republicans and the Democrats are, who's ahead, who's behind, and who just might win. My name's Clay Wirestone. I'm a writer and editor here at The Monitor, and I'm glad to welcome here on this day, 12 days until the New Hampshire primary, The Monitor's very own managing editor, John Van Fleet. Hi, John. Hey, Clay. And also, we're glad to, glad to welcome uh, Megan Doyle. Play. Hello, Megan. So, 12 days to go. What word, single word, would you use to describe the, uh, the energy in the state right now? John? Chill. Megan?
1: I was going to say panicked.
0: Frantic, panicked, or chill.
1: Though so this week has been relatively chill because everyone's in Iowa.
0: Sure, right, and that's so
1: the panic is starting to seep in.
0: So, at a at a just taking a look here at the Real Clear Politics average of polls here in New Hampshire, uh, Donald Trump still at in the lead at thirty one point seven percent. Ted Cruz at twelve point six. John Kasich neck and neck at twelve point one percent. Marco Rubio close behind at 10.6, and Jeb Bush at 9.7. And, of course, what's interesting about those numbers is that if you take those three establishment candidates, Kasich, Rubio, and Bush, they could actually win, but because there's three of them, they're almost evenly splitting it, at least right now. And on the Democratic side, we've got uh, Bernie Sanders with an average of 3.7 percent ahead of Hillary Clinton's 39.4%, and Martin O'Malley. Uh, coming in towards the back at 2.9%. Um, so, uh, Megan... You want to talk about that? What?
2: Any uh, polling numbers?
0: I The
2: think reporters was, and I, we were having a little chat earlier today mm-hmm. that Bernie Sanders would need all of those votes and then some. He would need two-thirds of the popular vote in New Hampshire to beat Hillary Clinton. Probably more like three quarters in order to actually win New Hampshire. How could that be, you ask, Clay? How could that be, John? New Hampshire has 32 delegates to give out to its Democratic candidates. And unless O'Malley gets 15% of the vote, which he won't, uh, he his delegates would have to go to either Sanders or Clinton. And if there is even a moderate split between Sanders and Clinton, they each get about 12 delegates, maybe 10 to 14. Let's say, let's say Sanders is exceptionally well, and mm-hmm. he gets 14 delegates and Clinton gets 10. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that she already has six superdelegates in her back pocket. So if it's even close she wins new hampshire folks the democratic primary if you want to vote it, i'm not sure it really matters much because the election has already been settled the delegates are going to hillary clinton and
1: that's you, your ray of sunshine you heard today, it here first friends. clay
0: Bernie mentum is is feeling pretty down right well, now. well let me I'd flip say. it around
2: in if Bernie mentum needs to be like a shooting comet in (laughs) order to actually win New Hampshire. And then outside of New Hampshire, he needs similar sorts of jaw-dropping, earth-shattering numbers in order to pull this out.
1: So you can flip your logic on on its head then Mm -hmm. and say the voting does matter. Because if you want to affect change in the pool of delegates, delegates that are available, you have to come out and show it with popular support.
0: Yeah. Well, but I mean also, John, what you're talking about in, in terms of concentrating on the delegates, you know, that's the kind of, of talk and the kind of thinking that, you know, I don't remember a lot of people talking about that before, you know, Barack Obama's really kind of, you know Unparalleled run in two thousand and eight when Hillary Clinton won a lot of states and won a lot of delegates, but his campaign had really worked through the math on how those delegates were allocated, they really got people turn, turning out for caucuses, and you know they beat her basically because they had a better grasp of the math mm-hmm. and you know and at this point now, I think there's a lot more people looking at math, a lot more people thinking about that basic point. you know how do you get the delegates that you need to you need to win on the Republican <laughs> side. Because
2: of that 15% threshold in New Hampshire, that you can't, if you don't get that mark, you you don't get delegates. That really means that those delegates could move all the way, all around on that side in a a very interesting fashion. And so it's still really anybody's game.
0: Right. So, Megan, as we were talking here about the Democratic side and uh, Hillary Clinton, some you have spent some time with the Democratic candidate uh, preparing one of our... Sorry. Van Fleet. Preparing one of our Day on the Trail features. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: So I spent last Friday on on the trail with Hillary Clinton, which is why I unfortunately had to miss the podcast last week. But I um, spent the whole day with her, and she had a longer day than I did. She flew in from Iowa and campaigned Um, consistently about 40 minutes late for just about every event uh, in Rochester, Concord, and Manchester from uh, about 11 a.m. to after 9 p.m., and then flew back to Iowa that night. Um, She had two town halls, uh, one public radio forum at NHPR here in Concord. She spoke at the NARAL Pro Choice dinner on, um, that day as well, and um, gave a handful of one-on-one interviews to local media. So uh, a jam-packed day.
0: And and what kind of uh, what kind of access did you have in terms of following her around?
1: I had minimal access. Um, I had behind-the-scenes access at her events, but one of the things that I realized is that the kind of access that we had truly hoped for is not even access that really her staff gets. Um, that in her travel, in her movements between events, in her preparation, that she, you know, she's she's very isolated. Um, and that, you know, the Secret Service protection and only a handful of very, you know, a small number of, of personal aides are really as close to her as as we would really want to be, mm-hmm. um, and so that that was sort of interesting to me. Um, you know, I was able, but before or after both of the town halls—one in Rochester and one in Manchester—she did like a photo op with you know a, a pre-selected group of people, a couple of people pulled out of the audience who would ask questions, and um, you know, a, a lot of it is is really staged, is really controlled, um, but you do kind of get glimpses at moments that are really genuine. Um, for example, at the last town hall, I was at one of the people who str- strategically positioned herself at the end of the photo line, um, so she would have a couple extra minutes. Um, she's uh, in recovery from addiction and wanted to talk, you know, has heard Clinton talk about that issue on the trail, wanted to tell her her story, and they had a few minutes together. It It was fascinating to see exactly how controlled it was. And I think that's what my sort of behind the scenes, if you will, glance gave me, you know, a sense of the, the layers of security that are even beyond what you see at public events.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's also kind of the layers of security you'd expect when you have such a, when you have a candidate who was such an early favorite, such an early, early front runner. Although, of course, that's also led to some, some criticism. Uh, at times, as well as she's as she's campaigned here,
1: But I don't think it's a function of her campaign necessarily. I think it's just a function of who she is. This has been her life for twenty years.
0: Um, what did what was the sense you got uh, from the from the voters um, who you saw her interacting with and, and at the events? I mean, the I mean, at least right now, the popular narrative is that all the energy is on the Sanders side. You know, kind of what 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 in what in. What kind of indication did you get from the folks who were showing up there for her?
1: At the events I attended, I found a lot of people who were Hillary supporters. I actually, um, you know, didn't really find anybody who was still undecided or who told me they were undecided. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think that's the nature of some of the events I was at and and that it's the nature of this place that folks have they've been here so often that, if you wanted to see Hillary and Bernie, you saw them. So I think, though, that that is a testament to the fact that people who are undecided at this point, um, they've seen the candidates and they're, they're thinking over their decision, you know, maybe privately.
0: Mm-hmm. And we're also just as, as you, we were saying at the beginning of the podcast now, we're in the run up to Iowa. Iowa happens this next Monday. And then at that point, you know, all sorts of things could happen. Here that last week in New Hampshire is sometimes um, incredibly unpredictable in terms of, of who who kind of swims out front, who falls behind. Um,
2: Are you happy with the, your Clinton story?
1: I'm happy with the partial draft I have written up so far.
0: And we will be looking forward to that in one Saturdays. Of, in Saturday's monitor. It's been a busy week, yes. It's been an exceptionally busy week. It sure has. Um, and speaking of, of the political happenings this week, this very evening here in, in a couple of hours, there's going to be a, the last Republican uh, primary debate before the Iowa caucuses mm-hmm. um, held on with uh, Fox News. Uh, the, big, the big news, of course, about this debate is that Donald Trump has said he will not participate. And at this point, it seems like he has every indication of not actually showing up. So, John um, Trump, you know, um, dropping out. What, what, what's your take on that? <clears throat> well, it was it was kind of said that
2: by pulling this move, he dominates the all of the lead up, all of the the talk, the buzz leading up to the event, and then all of the spin after is going to be where was he, what was his event like, how did he counter, did he recover, did this hurt him? So all the analysis is, is reviewing Trump's move, right? Mm-hmm. So because he owns that cycle leading up to the debate and then much of the cycle after the debate, what's, what's more valuable to the candidate? That cycle, pre and post, or the time at the lectern where you're actually talking directly to the people. So And where everyone's
0: going to attack you anyway because you're the the front runner. hmm So and he is currently, again, according to the real clear averages, up in Iowa thirty-two point nine percent to Ted Cruz at twenty-six point one. So that' is, it's it's still a pretty tight, tight race for him there. Yet. So you asked what I thought. So that's mm. what other people thought
2: or other people have said. So what I think is the voters don't put up with this for long. That they really don't like this type of behavior. They can they can tolerate it at the lower levels or early on, but when you're getting close to casting your vote and someone's playing games, they don't like it. And so when they go into the the behind the curtain in their voting booth and they have to cast Well not their, in Iowa. Well but. true. Um, but in New Hampshire, when you go there and you have to choose with yourself and your conscience who you think is going to be a good president, this doesn 't bode well for voters
1: I think Trump uh, unless isn't.
2: unless you totally think that the everything 's so horrible that removing oneself from the the, the political process is the way to uh, Triumph over it. Go ahead, man. Well,
1: I think Trump is also playing, trying to play on the fact that he's gotten good, good response so far when he's sort of criticizing the media, when he's, you know, taking shots at at reporters for being biased or unfair, um, and and generally, people have have listened to that and have liked it, uh, whether we want to admit that to ourselves or not. Um, but I think this is a, a moment when he took it. I think voters will decide he took it too far. Um, that by not participating in a discussion that doesn't show the kind of presidential quality they're looking for, kind of like what John just said.
0: Well, and I think that's just that's going to be the question. I mean, I think throughout this campaign, there's always been the question when you're talking about Trump. Um, has this latest outrage, whatever it is, he's ginned up? Has this been the point at which he goes too far? And at least, in, in, up to this point, you know, we've never really reached that, reached that aspect. You know, we've reached there. Um, you know, it's it's always whatever he's done has tended to to boost his standing in the polls, or at least it hasn't hurt him generally. Um, well, but saying yeah go ahead but but again that being said this is of a different this is a different kind of of situation because it's not about him saying something outrageous it's not about him attacking someone it's about just participating in a forum and you know and in a kind of forum that he's already done several times before what i was going to say is and if you look at his audience right
2: so if he's saying i've been treated unfairly by msnbc He gets sympathy from conservatives because they're like, oh, yeah, they're so unfair to us conservatives. But by saying I'm getting treated unfairly by Fox News, he doesn't get much sympathy from conservatives who are fans of Fox News. So he's playing to the wrong crowd here.
0: Well, or you could also say that his entire campaign has been predicated on the notion that the Republican establishment and the Republican elites have not been serving the people who voted for him voted for them. So Fox News is an extension of those elites, is an example of someone who's, who's let the people down. Now, whether or not people make that jump or not, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, talking about, uh, talking on the subject of debates, um, it looks as though um, the uh, union leader and MSNBC have put together uh, a bonus Democratic debate, here for New Hampshire on February 4th. Um, it's not been sanctioned by the Democratic Party yet, but at least at this point, right, it looks as though all of the candidates are go.
2: Yeah, if if you believe that the the Democratic Party won't get in the way and stop this. Uh, remains to be seen. It, it was interesting that yesterday Bernie said he wasn't sure you I think at one point he said he wasn't going to go and then he he called for more debates. They are, you pointed out, a little squishy in their commitment. So I, I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it, you know, I think there is, you know, it's, it is tight enough that I suspect that they'll ultimately go for it because there's really, I don't think there's a downside for Hillary Clinton for, to debate in a little higher profile way before the, Before the primary at this at this stage, Mm -hmm. you know, if she had a 20 point lead over uh, over Bernie Sanders in in New Hampshire, I don't think she'd go for it. But Mm -hmm. at this at this stage, I think she probably would. Um, Let's see.
2: I I did want to go back to uh, that 15 percent threshold that I was talking about for the superdelegates. I'm not sure that's actually holds true that percentage on the Republican side. So I just want to throw that out. I believe that's the case, but
0: there's well, the, always
2: a chance, Clay.
0: Well the parties that can maybe wrong. <laughs> the parties can make up their own rules on this stuff too, because yes. they it's 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 up to them who they and actually it's up to them to, to decide how their primary schedules work and, and everything else. And I and um, I believe at least in, in the Republican Party's case, the party was very interested in this primary season in trying to pick a candidate early. You know, in the primary nomination process, because they felt like in 2012 it dragged on too long, there were too many candidates in the front. Of course, now there is some indication that they are regretting some of those decisions because it means that there's less time for more establishment candidates to come up and challenge the likes of uh, Trump and Ted Cruz. Mm -hmm. So, um, also, of course, uh, from the on the monitor side, our editorial page did come out with its endorsements. This last weekend, in case anyone was was curious, the uh, editorial board endorsed Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side and John Kasich on the Republican side. Um, although we should we should point out that the news operation and the opinion operation are 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 separate on matters like this. True, but uh, I did see that the uh, the Hillary Clinton endorsement did did seem to be picked up and. Replayed a lot of places. Got a
2: lot of comments. Got a lot of pays online.
0: Other primary news here: Bernie Sanders is going to be on town. uh, Be in town on a primary night.
2: Yeah. See that he's
0: going to be at Concord High School. That's great. So head out to CHS to see see Bernie win or lose. I I guess. We're
1: still not sure where the other candidates are.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask that if we had any indication of where Hillary. Clinton's is going to be. Or you I, could I go, go and
2: go to Concord High School and watch Bernie win but lose.
0: Yes, John. Yeah. <laughs> thanks to thanks to omnipresent delegate math. Um, An
1: omnipresent John Manfredi cynicism.
0: That's right. That's right. Um, There's some other. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. Um, other news
2: uh, today. Megan's been working on um, a story we just found out a a former mayor has passed away.
1: Yeah, Marty Gross was a three-term mayor of Concord. Uh, He was elected in 1975, but, you know, was well-known on the primary cycle as well as uh, he used to host a lot of candidates who would come by his home um, on Rumford Street in Concord. And... You know, he hosted Bill Clinton and Jimmy Carter and his wife, Caroline, was a well-known Republican in the com- in the community. She was um, uh, one of the first women in leadership in the Republican Party in the State House in New Hampshire, and uh, she would host Republican candidates. And I was talking to um, a, a friend of theirs today who said that back then, you know, one spouse would sit on the stairs and the other party and, and the other spouse would... Kind of wheel and deal around the house, and they mm-hmm. would kind of have their own turns at it so um a, a really well known and well loved figure in Concord and in the state of new hampshire for for many reasons beyond that as well
0: and um certainly thinking of all of his his friends and family now too um, let's see um and you were you were covering too some uh, some state house news. I uh, hear recently too, right, about keeping the, possibly keeping the state house open on weekends?
1: Yep. I was at the state house yesterday for a hearing on a bill that would basically allow the state to take money from the Greater Concord Chamber of Commerce to keep the state house open on Saturdays, um, probably from like Memorial Day to Labor Day um, mm-hmm. during that kind of peak tourism um, warm weather season. So. There was generally favorable opinion and you had a lot of local uh, representatives coming forward and supporting the bill um, in question. Um, There were some concerns raised about, you know, how would you handle vandalism and how do we make sure there's enough money and, you know, different questions like that. So I think the bill does have a a battle ahead of it just in terms of working out the logistical details. Um, But you could sense... Some very strong support from members of the local community, local elected officials, and um, local merchants as well for for this plan.
0: Well, I mean, it's it's a it's a fairly obvious thing, right? I mean, if you're going visiting downtown Concord and you're it's the weekend, I mean, the State House is right there. You know, it's it's right off the street, and to to not be able to go go in and look around seems kind of a kind of a shame. And. In terms of security, though, I have to say it's kind of it's kind of funny because I know that you know I've gone and, and poked around in there with my son during the during the week, and it is it's not the highly most highly guarded place in the world most weekdays, frankly. Well,
2: so. as far as you know, we've got a number of legislators that are packing heat, and if you get out of line, <laughs> of Clay, they'll show you who's boss. Well,
0: I was meaning when going when the legislators are away. Uh, I see. <laughs> There's there's not a lot going on there out of out of the se- out of session time. is my it's my point.
2: True. And as you know, there is a a real treasure trove of art art and art artifacts mm-hmm. in that building, which is one of the real arguments to keep it open.
0: Yeah, well, I mean And one
1: of the major concerns as to how to protect those items. So it's right. it's a concern on both sides, I think of the argument.
0: Well, I mean there's just the you know the, the portraits are everywhere. Yes. Um, the
1: Hall of Flags is another big draw.
0: Portraits, The Hall of Flags. Um, the chance to see Bill Gardner in, in person. It's, it's limitless. <laughs> um, that being said, so, John, this is usually the time at the podcast in, I, in which I turn to you and say, so, John, do you have anything else?
2: But of course, Clay.
0: And you always do.
2: Uh, I want to go back to your earlier question know, how are things in New Hampshire right now, one of the, and this is not a one word answer, but I'll be, I'll try and be succinct. There's an interesting confluence of events right now in New Hampshire where you have the highest of the highs. You've got the biggest events in political theater, which is presidential politics abutting some of the smallest, most granular level political events in the world meaning town meeting season is happening at the same time you've got the presidential primary, and they are literally crossing paths next week. You've got budget public hearings, and you've got candidate filings for cemetery trustee. At the same time, you've got debates and forums and GG and Hunter Club dinner, and these like total political elite, the eyes of the political world are on New Hampshire, And yet we still have our municipal elections to worry about, our municipal budgets to worry about, and all that sort of stuff. And so I frankly wonder how like low-level politics is this a chance where, you know, some selectman somewhere can sneak in a a budget line for a a the the granddaddy of all fire trucks or something like that in, in one of our towns? Or is uh or is everyone going to be on their best behavior and, and stay true to the frugality that New Hampshire is known for?
1: Will their enthusiasm for voting in the presidential primary carry over to their town meeting?
0: You know, but it's, it's interesting that you bring this up, John, because this is actually why New Hampshire has the first primary. This is, why, this, this is, this is all intentional, because when the New Hampshire primary was created— The hint of it was that it would be held simultaneously with town meetings. So how do you know this? Because I have been doing research into the history of the primary for our little primary countdown feature. That's a terrible idea.
2: How are we supposed to cover all this stuff? Well, I we're think, obviously
1: not thinking of the Concord Monitor when they uh, came up with that plan. Could
2: could someone please budget us a few extra reporters because we're running out of bodies, Clay.
0: <laughs> well, first, and the other thing was, of course, it was originally all in March because that's when the traditional town meeting season is. And uh, I think we're you're talking about like SB2 stuff that's starting next week, right?
2: True. But yeah. the candidate filings are, it's a statewide thing.
0: Right. Um, but yes, yeah, so it, 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 it's it's a feature, not a bug, or at least that was the original original thought, everyone would get together and cast their, cast their votes in town and also pick their, pick their president, presidential. And also their vice presidential <coughs> preference, which is a, a contest that I'm sad that we've lost. There used to be a primary election for vice president as well as president.
1: You are full of fun facts.
2: Which is like what Dave Brooks has been writing about in his plurality voting method where you would, you would vote for perhaps more than one candidate. While not, while not definitely ranked voting, that by voting for a vice president, you could essentially be given a second place vote. I vote first place and second place.
0: Hmm. Yeah, the, the, the problem was, is that the New Hampshire vice presidential contest was always uh, pretty useless. And I believe Jack Barnes, a legislator, won the, won the last one. And then he, he sponsored a bill to actually get rid of it, <laughs> uh, subsequently. So...
2: Megan, do you have
1: anything else?
2: Undecided voters?
1: Oh yeah. There we go. So we have been collecting and hopefully it comes together so our readers can can see the final product. Uh, a focus group of undecided voters who are, you know, those those true New Hampshire primary participants who are waiting until the very last minute to, to pick their candidate. Uh, we've got a handful of, of people on uh, in both parties, as well as registered independents, and our you know, a range of you know professions and ages um, among them. And we'll see who they choose.
0: We'll see what they say.
1: That'll come out next week.
2: Yeah, that'll be good. We've been working on that for a while. Megan and Ella Nielsen have been putting in a ton of work into it.
0: Well, fun. great. Yeah, it's and been I... a,
1: it's been a really cool experience actually tracking. You know the concerns that voters have that continue through the primary cycle, and the ones that sort of ebb and flow. You know, uh, for example, there's one voter that I've talked to a couple times who her primary concern is um, is faith, and the you know she's uh, against abortion. That's uh, a really significant concern to her. Um, and at different times when I've talked to her, you know, that's been a dominant theme of our conversation. But, you know, back in December when we were sort of still all reeling from, um, you know, shootings both in France and in the United States, national security was something that came up much more often than it did in our more recent conversation when she was, you know, talking more specifically about candidate faith and and character. Um so, it, just to see the things that um, that voters are thinking about, the way it has changed or not changed through their decision-making process has been interesting.
0: Well, we look forward to seeing that. Yeah. So.
2: And while uh, not purely political, I did want to mention this recording is happening on January 28th, the 30th right. anniversary of the, the Challenger liftoff, and... Explosion! It's a it's a big day in Concord, and all of the reporters and Clay, uh, helped put out a special edition newspaper today. And uh, mm-hmm. it it, uh, it was nice to see today.
0: It's a it's a pretty comprehensive look at, and not just the past, but also also the present and kind of the the legacy of of Krista McAuliffe too. Mm-hmm. So it was it was an interesting and uh, great project to work on. So
2: a special day here in Concord
0: hmm Well, with that, um, we will, I guess we'll all have to check in next week when things will be at an even higher pitch. But John, thank you. Thank you, Clay. Megan, thank you.
1: Thank you. Always a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast series through iTunes or Stitcher. And for all the latest news, please visit politics.concordmonitor.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next week.